Good morning. There we go. There we go. I know it is first service. There is coffee out there. Um, so make sure you get some caffeine before you come in here. Um, nothing more. Um, awesome than just having you guys here first service. So we're in week three of begin again. And this today is that, uh, we have a God and this is the good news. The, we have a God of restoration, a God that pursues it, a God that gives it. Uh, and we're going to look at a, a biblical character today, um, that I believe is going to communicate that fully. So here's a couple things for you. Have you ever felt like it's too late? Or things are gone too far, or you have missed your opportunity to go back to that grace that you may at one time enjoyed to live in and under. That we live in this life that is funneled by all of these other experiences that sometimes detract from our relationship with God. And in some of those we feel have precluded it. it, it left us without an opportunity to experience his grace and mercy. And today I want to talk about uh, one of my favorite disciples. Anybody? Anybody? Peter, that's right. Love Peter. Why do I love Peter? I feel like I make lots of mistakes. I feel like I do things uh, at times uh, a little boneheaded. And I feel like Peter is... Right there with me. I feel like he could understand me. I feel like he would look at me and say, been there, done that. It's all right, buddy. And so I, we're going to look at a story. I actually look back. The, the cool thing about keeping all my notes is I can um, search in my, um, my preaching notes and see when the last time I preached this. I think the last time was two years ago, and I think three times over the last seven years I've talked specifically about this. And so today we're going to talk about um, the denial uh, and restoration, Peter's denial and his restoration, which I think is a bigger deal than we even think it is. Like we think it's a big deal, like denying Jesus, but I think in their culture, and this is what I want to convince you on, it's an even bigger deal than we lift it up as. Um, and because part of that is, is we can miss out on experiencing this restoration, not because God isn't willing to give it, but because we're willing to receive it. We're willing, unwilling to step into the grace that he lays before us. So before we get into the word, I want to pray. Uh, Dearly Father, it is very easy for us to live in a place of unbelief, not because of what we think you can do, but what we think we're worth. And so this morning, if we find ourselves feeling unworthy of your grace and mercy, unwilling to receive what you have for us. Lord, I pray that you would sprinkle a little belief, a little hope uh, in our souls. That, Lord, you would help us um, get to that place that we can openly be ready for you to do the impossible. To restore us, to rebuild us, to remake us, to make us new again. And so, Lord, as we open your word, Lord, I pray that your word would speak more powerfully than my words. And, Lord, we are grateful that you've provide, provided the Bible for us to know you and to see how you operate, to see how you worked with your disciples so that we can understand how you work with us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So what we're going to do is a little bit before um, the crucifixion and right after the crucifixion, I'm going to talk about what happened leading up to this. But let me let me just build the story just in case you're unfamiliar uh, with what led to this. So Jesus um, entered into our world. God saw a window for him. He sent him in the exact ex- exact time that he was supposed to be here. Saw a perfect window for him to send his son to do for us what we were unable to do. So Jesus comes into the earth as a baby, which we talked about uh, at Christmas, uh, very um, humbly, to say the least, as a child. He begins his ministry, he calls his disciples, and, and these guys follow him around. And I think what we don't understand, because it's not in our culture, unless you grew up um, Jewish, uh, you probably don't understand the relationship between the rabbi and the disciple. We think, oh, you know, if you're going to be my disciple, like if I'm going to start standing beside you and encouraging you and discipling you, you think, oh, you know, like that's that's a big deal. But like in this culture, it's a big deal. A rabbi specifically chose his disciples and would not let in, which is crazy, because in the and even in their world, um, the ones that got picked would not have gotten picked. They wouldn't have made it to this place that they were. But there's, it's a high honor for a rabbi to say, come and follow me, be my disciple. And what's ho- not horrible about this, but what is gut-wrenching about this is this relationship between master and disciple. It, it's, it's like, I mean, they, were, they weren't God to them, but they literally were at their mercy. They, they would follow them around and, and want to learn from them. They would mimic everything their rabbi did because they wanted to be just like them. And it was a high honor to be that. And so here's these, here, here's these ragamuffin band of guys that have gotten intentionally chosen to be a part of um, Jesus's inner circle and they've they've followed him around for three years and they've they've heard his um his teaching they've seen the miraculous it's it you know they're they're part of this circle and peter's part of a even smaller circle of ones that jesus spent even more intention and time with and see they're totally confused for the majority of them even his disciples they're waiting for a messiah to come and Kick Rome out to establish a earthly kingdom that would rule and reign forever. That's what they're expecting. So they're thinking at some point Jesus is going to lead a revolt. He's going to lead the armies against Rome and kick them out. He's going to become king. There's two of the disciples, the brothers James and John. They're fighting of who's going to be on his right and left side. And they're not talking about like in heaven. They're talking about like when you're king, can we be like... Your number two and number three guy. They were confused up until the very end, even though Jesus is telling them, I'm going to die. I have to die. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to be in the tomb for three days. And at the end of three days, I'm going to come back. They're clueless. And so leading up to that, the, the night before, they're literally sitting around the table not knowing that this is the Last Supper, not knowing that tomorrow uh, they're going to see their rabbi get crucified. And Jesus says something really crazy. I mean, these are guys that have followed him, given up their lives, their livelihood, their businesses, left families to follow 
Jesus. In Matthew 26, 31, it says this, Then Jesus said to them, imagine they're sitting at a table, they, they, even though he's telling them it's coming, they're not sure, they're not they're clueless of what's getting ready to happen. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. I mean, this is a big deal. Like, they're like, oh, no. And you'll see Peter. For it, it was written. So it's not even like this is just something you're going to do. This before the beginning of time. But the word were written. It says, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep and the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered him. This is why I love this guy. Because we know what he's getting ready to do. We know he's getting ready to do exactly what Jesus told him he was going to do. But Peter says, though they, and I, like, I, I imagine Peter's like, Though they all fall away. And he sweeps his hands around the other 11 disciples. (laughs) Maybe this is why they didn't write about, other than John, they didn't really write about Peter after this moment. Um, They'll all fall away because of you. I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Not once, not twice, but three times. And Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, they're still thinking, we're going to start the revolution. We're going to fight our way into removing Rome. Even if I die alongside you, sword in hand, that's what's going to happen. I will not deny you. And all the other disciples said the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not going to leave you. I mean, I imagine, you know, you get men together and you tell them like you're going to fail. We're never going to fail. And so what happens is uh, the betrayer Judas comes um, to betray Jesus. They capture Jesus. And as the band of people that are coming to collect Jesus, to take him to trial, to lead him to the cross, in John 18, verse 10. So this is Peter saying, even if I must die, like you've told me, I'm going to deny you. And even if I must die, I will. And this is Peter trying his hardest to not walk into the reality that Jesus just spoke over him. Then Simon Peter, having a sword. See, they're ready. They're like, not like, it's not a prayer shawl he's got. He's got a sword. Having a sword, he drew it. And I know I talk about this all the time. He struck the high priest and cut off his right ear. Like bad soldiering. I don't know about you guys. Like, I'm not a good swordsman either. But like, if all you cut off is somebody's ear, you've done a bad job. Like, I don't know if they, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, like, that guy deflected with his sword and then it ricocheted and got his ear. I don't know. But, like, if that guy had nothing and he's like, ah! I mean, he didn't even stick in his shoulder. I mean, just glanced off, popped his ear off right there. It's crazy. But he was determined for that not to happen. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I, shall I not drink the cup that my father has given me? He's telling him, guys, this is what I've told you must happen. And then Luke 22, continuing on the story, it says, Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed at a distance. I would say pretty far back distance. Like, where are they taking him? 
following him. In verse 55, and it says, And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, he sat down together, and Peter sat down among them. These are people that are kind of outside. So this is a whole, I'm not even going to get into this, but this is a whole illegal thing that they're doing here. Like it, it was illegal for them to try them at night in their system. So they're, they're making a judgment at night, which is against their rules, against their laws. They're sitting right now doing this. They're making a backroom deal to eliminate Jesus so that when they have the actual official meeting, it's already kind of decided. It says, then the servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light, looking closely at him, said, this man was with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. I mean, can you imagine, like, nothing in his mental framework, and I know this is a very disturbing time for him. This is a time that, like, everything in his life is coming crumbling down because the, the man he was following, the man he was hoping to lead into this great revolution and, and, and rule and reign over the, the one true kingdom and the one with the one true God, like, he was ready, and Jesus has now been taken away, and he's sitting there in the courtyard, courtyard to see what's going to happen to him. And not even in his first denial did he realize. Let's just be honest. You don't have to say anything to the person beside you, but just honest in your own brain. Have you been in those situations where you're like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. Like, I'm never going to do that. Whatever that blank. I don't want to like even put it in your brain. But then you're in the middle of doing it. And that first whatever, you're like, you're clueless to this is the one thing that I said I wasn't going to do. Like for those, you know, um, fasting right now the other day i did i'm just just gonna tell you i was making my sandwich for lunch because i'm doing intermittent fasting got it right this time um and i was making my lunch and it's so habit like there's this little piece of turkey that fell on the ground i'm not ground okay i'm not an animal i am an animal i would eat off the ground but it didn't fall on the ground it fell on the counter i just a little piece i put in my mouth without even thinking and then as soon as I'm like a minute later, I'm like, why do I taste like pepper or whatever? It was like mesquite turkey or whatever. And I'm like, why does that taste in my mouth? And I was like, oh, but it's like, it's like that. Like Peter had no clue. He's just like, oh, no, no, no. I, I don't know him. If there's nothing in his brain, at least that I know of, this alarm going off. That, that's denial number one, buddy. Number one. There's two more coming. Like pull it in. <clears throat> and uh, 58, it says a little Later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said to him, man, I do not know what you're talking about. One one of the gospels says that he called down curses. And immediately while he was still speaking, and this is why I'm using, this is why I'm kind of jumping from Matthew and John and Luke, because I love these, this imagery. While he's still saying that, so number three, and the rooster crows, and he looks over and sees his master, his rabbi. And immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord and how he said to them, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. 
In this culture, this is the end of the line for Peter. There's no coming back. There's no coming back from denying, not only, like, let's, let's, let's just think rabbi. There's no coming back from this world that you deny your rabbi three times in his presence saying, I don't even know this guy. There's no coming back from this, but there's even more so as Jesus being God incarnate to say, you're denying God. Actually, Matthew 33 says, whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my father in heaven. This is the end of the road. This is why Peter went away weeping bitterly because he understands this man that he has given his life to for the last three years. He has just now disappointed him is a very kind word. He has betrayed him. It's it's, Far as you can in this culture, he has cut himself from his rabbi because he has denied him publicly. Even though, as he said, I will die before I did that. And he without even knowing it because he didn't even remember this. And this is I know sometimes there's things that vows or things that we've said we're not going to do this. And, you know, years later, we we fall and fail. This is within like 12 hours. This is at night. Jesus tells him. Or the rooster crows. Like, I feel like my kids are like this sometimes. They're like, we just talked about this. But like, I don't remember that. <clears throat> and so Jesus leaves this place, gets tried again, gets taken before Pilate. Pilate wants nothing to do with him. Pilate's wife had a dream. said, have nothing to do with this innocent man. And he does everything in his power to pull Jesus out of where they're leading him to the cross. Because in this culture, the Jews were not allowed to do corporal punishment. They weren't allowed to kill people. They had to take them to Rome, and Rome had to carry that out. And this was the leadership, not the people. This is the leadership that's leading Jesus to this place because they're afraid of losing their position. They're afraid of losing power. So for a power struggle, Jesus is taken to the cross because one of, uh, one of the, um, I forget who it was that said, you know, it's better for one man to die than we lose the whole nation. Like it's better for one man, it's better for Jesus to go away than we lose our position, our power. And I don't know what happens to Peter after this. I don't, I don't know where he goes. I don't know if from afar, if he was near, the, he wasn't, at least recorded being near the crucifixion. There was not a reference of him being there. But Jesus, regardless of what Pilate tried to do, was turned over uh, and was crucified. And he died a sinner's death, a traitor's death. That's what the cross was reserved for, is for those who were traitors against Rome. And he died on the cross knowing this is where I'm going. He's doing this for us. He's doing this for Peter. And he goes to the grave, and we've talked about this a ton. He goes to the grave, they put him in there, they prepare his body as much as they can for this, because it's right before the Sabbath, and they can't work on the Sabbath. So they leave him in that day. They come back on that Sunday morning to finish their preparations, finish wrapping his body, finish putting all the stuff to make him um, grave ready. 
And the ladies come back to finish the preparation. They weren't there. They weren't there. The band of disciples, even though they have, they're maybe fearing their life, they weren't there ra- waiting for Jesus to walk out of the tomb. They weren't expecting this, even though he's told them over and over again, I, I will return, even though when they thought he was talking about tor- tearing down the temple, their worship center, he was talking about, you know, tearing down this temple, and in three days I'll rebuild it. And, of course, they come back and they find the grave is empty. And Mark 16 records this. This is the angel telling them. He says, and he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where where they laid him. Go tell his disciples. Look at this. Go tell his disciples. Mark is the only one. That records it like this. Go tell his disciples and Peter. There's a specific reason why Peter's name was mentioned here specifically. Because in his world, Peter's own mind, I'm sure, and the mind of the other disciples, Peter is now no longer a disciple of Jesus. He is just an item. He's just separated himself from him. And here the angel tells, go get his disciples, because if it was just his disciples and Peter was included in that, that's all we'd have to say. But he intentionally put in here, and Peter, that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And Jesus does appear to some of the disciples. and Peter goes fishing. Peter, in in, in my opinion, Peter has lost his position as disciple. His master is now, not only did he betray him, but his master is now dead. And Peter goes back to what he was familiar with, back to what he knew, back to his old life, which was fishing. And so he tells some of the other disciples, and they go out fishing, doing what he used to do before. They get on the boat. And they catch nothing. And they get close enough to land where they can have a conversation with somebody on the shore. And that someone is Jesus. And he's like, hey, guys, do you catch any fish? They're like, no. Throw your net over. And they catch this huge haul of fish. And and no one recognizes him initially. Peter definitely didn't. But as soon as they realize that it's Jesus, one of the other disciples say it's Jesus. And Peter literally throws off his coat, and he jumps in the water. And he swims to shore. So I don't know what. I don't know what his expectation is, but he just knows that Jesus is alive. And he throws off everything that he, he throws off his cloak, and he jumps in the water, and he swims to shore. And I imagine him groveling at the feet of Jesus, and and Jesus starts cooking breakfast. This is crazy. In the commentaries that I was reading, I've never really thought about this. Peter's denial was around a fire. Peter's restoration was around a fire. Peter's denial was three times. Peter's restoration was three times. So Luke 21, starting in verse 15, there's this conversation with Peter. Who thinks, I'm done. Like, there's no going back. There's no beginning again. There's no getting back up from this. But 
in the presence of Jesus, he was willing to do whatever. He was willing to return to see. So they eat breakfast. In verse 15, it says, when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Jesus uses a specific word for love. A more intimate word for love than Peter's getting ready to say. Do you love me more than these? See, let's make it personal. Jesus isn't worried about what you think about his teachings or how you serve him or what you convince others to believe about him. All he wants to know is, do you love me? And of course, Peter says, he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he uses another word for love, which is less intimate. Not the same. They're not saying the same. If you look in the Greek, they're not saying, uh, or Hebrew, or Aramaic. I don't remember which one it is. Forgive me for not knowing that. Um, They're not the same word. Jesus saying, hey, do you love me? And, And Peter's saying, Lord, you know that I love you, but not the same love that you just said. And he said to him, and this may be because that's how he feels. He feels that I've just proven that I don't love you like you're asking me to love you because I've just denied you three times. And in verse 16, and he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then he said, tend my sheep. And he's not opening up a sheep or goat farm, telling him to go to work at this new Jesus ranch. He's telling him to, to go back to work, doing the things that I've called you to do. And, and here in the same line, Jesus uses the more intimate version of love. Peter is using a different word for love again, twice. And then verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? This time Jesus uses the word that Peter has been using the two previous times. He he brings it to this love. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved and he needed this because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. He just came out of the grave. He's finally getting the reality of who this guy is. He says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And then he tells them something truly disturbing. So I, I think sometimes we, we want the restoration. I, I'm, I'm sure there's not a person in this room that if you're struggling with how you feel about yourself based on what God thinks about you, no one in this room would, would say, I don't want to be restored. I, I don't want God's love. You may feel that way, but like when presented with it, and this is what's happening here, is God's restoring Peter from his failure, which is what God does. <laughs> and I, from the beginning of Genesis, Jesus has been... I mean, God and Jesus have been pursuing the sinner. He's there on the shore. He's there to to bring Peter back into the fold. And then he tells him something that's truly disturbing. So Jesus just said, do you love me? Yes, I love you. And he's finally brought it to this love that Peter is comfortable in saying. And go feed my sheep. And then he says this. 
He said, truly, truly, I say to you, when you are young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you to where you don't want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was going to glorify God. Peter was crucified upside down because he would not. Uh, he was he said he was not worthy to be crucified like his savior. So they crucified him upside down. Peter, and this is this is Jesus who's just restored you. He's just told you, go feed my sheep. But he tells you in that because he, he, he says to him, he said, you know, everything. And then he tells him this hard truth, which is, I think, what Jesus does to us all the time. It's like following me isn't easy. Choosing to be my disciple isn't easy. Look what it's going to cost you a little bit later. We're not going to talk about this. Read it later at home. It's hilarious. Peter's like, okay, I'm down with that. But what about that guy right there? And he points at John, the one who says, loved by God all the time in his own gospel. He's like, what about this guy? I mean, I'm sure he doesn't say it to his face. Like, you going to kill that guy too? <laughs> Which he doesn't. Uh, but, you know, Jesus tells him, like, that's none of your concern. You and me. Stop looking at other people, what I'm doing for other people or what's going to happen to other people. Just trust me. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Which was the same words that he said to him at the beginning of his journey as a disciple. And I I wish we could. I've done it. I've done this injustice to understand what Peter has done And what Jesus has done for him in restoring him back to this place of power and authority. I mean, and read the beginning of Acts. I mean, Peter gets up. I mean, gets baptized by the Holy Spirit. They have a a divine moment. He steps outside and preaches one sermon. And 3,000 people say yes. To Jesus, the church begins with this guy who excluded himself from the ministry by what he did. But this is the beauty of the gospel. Jesus said, look, I want you. This is the beauty of this begin again, regardless of where you've been. If you're I believe if you're in this room, there's hope for you. Not because this room is special. They have the cafeteria on Monday morning or Monday at lunch. It's just a room. But that you're in this room desiring, whether it's by force or not, I believe that you're in this room because you want that same restoration. There's no one that when the truth comes to it doesn't want to experience love from our creator. Love from the one who made us, the, the one who designed us, the one who set us here in this moment, in this place, and has purpose and destiny for you. And I, I don't think there's a better text that we can look at to say that he's willing to go to whatever distance to say, come back. He's the one that, that does it. Peter, Peter, other than the Holy Spirit, nothing changed in him. He was still the same. I mean, we see he still makes a mistake in the rest of the uh, New Testament. He gets a little sidetracked with how people wash their hands and eat lunch with Gentiles. That's later. He messes up. But this is the beauty of the gospel. We have a God 
that desires connection with us and will do whatever is necessary to make that a possibility because we cannot. We cannot clean ourselves enough. We cannot make ourselves good enough for him. But he has done that for us through his son, Jesus. And I believe the Holy Spirit is pursuing us constantly, even in our failures. The Holy Spirit is going to show up on the shore just like he did for Peter. I mean, he, he just, I'm sure he didn't think. I mean, Peter is the same guy that, like, Jesus comes walking out on the water. He's like, if it's you, Lord, tell me to come. And he stepped out. Like, I, I don't know about you guys, but, like, I'm not at that place that, like, yes, 43 years I've sunk every time I've stepped on water. But today, it's different. This is that same Peter who is willing to jump in and swim to shore to grovel at the feet of Jesus. And what did he do? He not only just said, hey, 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 okay, you can be back on my team, but you're going to ride the bench. You're just going to be a part of it. And yeah, yeah, you'll make it to heaven, and we'll have eternity together, but I need you to just hang out in the back. I need you to not do anything because you keep screwing up everything. But what does he do? He brings him right back to this place of leadership. Feed my sheep. Jesus did the unthinkable in this culture. He pursued restoration with the disciple that denied him publicly. And here's a couple of questions for you. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back up. And I don't think you have to be like at rock bottom to appreciate what Jesus does in these moments. I don't think you have to be like, oh, man, man, my life is falling apart. Your life can be pretty good. You can have you know, a good steady paycheck. You can have a happy home and still be missing this connection, missing this relationship. And so my question for you this morning before we go back into worship and before we have a few moments to ourselves is, are you allowing Jesus to restore you? I mean, because this is a process. No, let me disclaimer, no one in this room is finished, including this guy with the microphone. The day you breathe your last breath is the day God stops working on you. And so the question is, are you allowing Jesus to restore you? Are you allowing yourself to live in this place of going, God, I need you? I did it. Sitting over here before communion, I'm just like, there's so many little things in my life that I'm always like, God, I'm desperate for you. I'm not perfected. I have not figured everything out, and I need Jesus. So how are you answering this question? Are you allowing Jesus to work on restoring you? Here's another question. Are you letting your failure... To define you. Is your past failure who you are? Or are you allowing Jesus to tell you who you are? Because really I think what separated Judas and Peter. Is Judas decided on his own that he was unforgivable. And took it into his own hands. Peter stayed around long enough 
to have an encounter with Jesus. And Peter was in, in, in the middle of that failure, was still willing to go to his feet and say, at his mercy, just like the prodigal son, when he returned, he was not expecting to be a son again. He was not expecting to be welcomed back in like he was before. He just wanted to be a servant in his father's house. This is the image of Jesus. This is Jesus. If you're struggling with who you are, you're really struggling with who God is to you. Because, yes, we've all missed the mark. We've all failed in some capacity to be what God has designed you to be. But we have the capacity to right now be restored or be enter into the process of restoration. By not letting our failures define us. And my last little statement more than a question. If you're not sure about Jesus, I don't want to assume that everybody in this room is like, for Jesus, fault. By the blood of Jesus, which is a weird term. If you, I mean, if you really don't know Jesus, that's like weird. Sorry, forgiven, choosing to Him to be Lord and Savior. So, if you're not sure about Jesus, spend some time. Look, look, research how this this text shows us the grace and mercy of that restoration that Jesus offers us. Everything He did, He did to explain who He is for us. So as we close, as we go into another song of worship, wrestle. Life isn't easy. But there's, there's purpose in it with him. There's restoration. There's wholeness. There's joy. There's peace in him. Wrestle with that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is by your grace and mercy that right now we have the ability to breathe. <laughs> That we are right now still living and breathing on this planet. And Lord, I, I believe there's people in this room that are, that are fighting you. They don't, they don't trust that, that they're good enough for you. And Lord, I pray that you would wipe that out of their brain. That you would remove that way of thinking. And they would elevate their belief and trust that you are able, in spite of their failures... To bring them back. To welcome them into your family. To welcome them into your house. And so Lord where we're struggling with that unbelief. Lord I pray that you would help us see you for who you are. Lord I, I thank you that in this story. We see the links that you're willing to go. To find us where we're at. And call us into your story. And so Lord we just pray that the text would change the way we think, not only about us, but about our world and our loved ones. I pray that you would help us be the men and women that you've designed, not because we become better people, but because you make us better sons and daughters. Thank you for calling normal, average, ordinary people to be your disciples. To be your helpers. To be your servants. We thank you this morning that there's grace for today. There's grace for tomorrow. That you're moving us to where you design. We pray these things in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.